Hello, welcome to the Theology Podcast. And this is C.R. Wiley, and uh, we are podcasting, as we always do, deep from the bunker here in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, we've got our usual cast of characters and a guest, and I'll let uh, one of our cast introduce the guest. But uh, why don't we start with, uh, with you, Tom, uh, today. I'm Tom Price, a systematic theologian and Christian ethicist, teaching both as adjunct professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University and a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And I'm here with my son, Brendan, who's visiting from the Midwest. All right, welcome, Brendan. Welcome. Hey. Unfortunately, we don't have an extra microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's fine. Uh, that's <laughs> we'll Your father will share his we'll with you. We'll pass it around. <laughs> right. And uh, I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm the pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester in Manchester, Connecticut. And uh, before we get into today's show, I wanted to mention a few things. One is uh, we've had some positive feedback about uh, the sort of learning curve that we have been going through with our new uh, sound equipment and uh, the feedback has been positive. We had, a, we had some folks remark that there was a mysterious background noise of some kind, and apparently it was outside of my, my range, my hearing range. Uh, it was either too high or too low or something, but my daughter-in-law was able to hear it, and so she uh, took uh, you know, the, the time to talk to my, my son-in-law, who's been doing some of the work on our, our, our podcast, and they were able to identify it and eliminate it. So he's, he's taking care of that. So, um, hopefully, you can enjoy our, our podcasts uh, without that annoying sound in the background. Uh, Just the annoying sounds in the foreground. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and by the way, you know, speaking to that, you know, we think of ourselves as sort of um, annoying, maybe. <laughs> but our audience is, apparently does, doesn't think that way. We are, uh, it, it continues to grow. We've been actually kind of uh, pleasantly surprised at how much it's grown. And uh, we get uh, notes and emails, and, and some, some of the things that people do to get a hold of us is kind of surprising. People going went out of the way to, to, to reach us. Uh, but almost every day, there's some, someone uh, who says that they appreciate the content of the shows, and so we're, we're really glad to know that. So if you'd like to, uh, to, to interact with us maybe a little more easily, you can do that through our Facebook page. We do have a Facebook page, the Theology Pugcast Facebook page, and we do actually look at it every once in a while. That's right. <laughs> we read what you, what you put there. Yeah, if you, if you, if you, and you can even send us messages there, and we've had some folks suggest uh, shows or subjects for shows to us, and I think that, uh, you know, we were just talking about that a minute ago that we, we'd like to actually encourage that and follow up on that. Uh, the problem is, is, is that we have so much we like talking about already. <laughs> it wins <laughs> it's out. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's almost like you need to tell us to shut up <laughs> and give us something else to talk about. Uh, give us something to talk about that we didn't think of. But anyway, we do appreciate the support and the, grow, the growing audience. Uh, at this point, I, I should uh, note that we will eventually be uh, posting our, our show uh, solely on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, the FLN network. When uh, the FLN network has developed its app, there's an app that's going to be uh, introduced in the near future so that you can actually have the FLN network on your phone with a dedicated little icon. 
Uh, at that point, we'll begin this a serious process of, of encouraging people to move on over. But you can you can beat the rush. You can be a subscriber to both the FLF network and to the podcast at Anchor for the foreseeable future. But eventually, there will be a transition, and we'll let you know when that happens. Anyway. Um, there's something else I wanted to talk about, but I've already run so long that you're probably losing patience. So let's get to the subject of the day, and I'll say what I have to say, this last thing for the end. Uh, today is Glenn's day. So, yep. Glenn, what are we talking about today? Uh, today we're going to be doing a range of things. We're starting with uh, the area of uh, biotechnology. We're going to move from that through transhumanism and a bunch of the worldview things associated with it. So let, let's, um, let's start with some basic ideas about medicine. I think this is probably the best place to get into this. If you look at the development of modern medicine in the West, it operates using a metaphor for the human body. And I think it's best to think of it as a metaphor uh, that says that the body is essentially a biochemical machine. And using that metaphor, the Western medicine has gotten very good at a lot of different things, particularly repairing things that go wrong. Uh, whether that's, you know, orthopedics. My orthopedist actually describes that more as carpentry than surgery. Um, but w whether it's, it's that kind of, of repair or other kinds of surgery or drug regimens or whatever, we, there are a lot of things Western medicine does really well. However, there are limitations to it. And just by way of contrast, consider Asian medicine. Generally speaking, in Asian medicine, what they do is they look at the body essentially as a holistic unit and see it in terms of, of energies. Right. And as a result, you get things like acupuncture, but you've also got a variety of herbal medicines, dietary things, all kinds of stuff like that. And in general, in Asia, they will tell you that Traditional Asian medicine is better for keeping you healthy, but Western medicine is better for fixing you. Interesting. Okay, so what, what you've got here are two different, the, the reason why the medicine develops, the, the medical approaches develop in their different ways, is they're using different metaphors for the body. Mm. And you have to think of these in terms of metaphors, because neither of them is complete. Mm. Um, there are ways of looking at the way the body works. And the problem comes, when you take one of these metaphors and make it absolute, as if it isn't a metaphor, as if it's simple reality. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Perhaps this is a, a problem that is more, I guess, acutely felt because of the materialistic sort of bias that we have in our society. Yeah, exactly. Western medicine is operating out of a materialistic worldview. Mm -hmm. That is to say, matter and energy, or particularly matter, is all that exists. So that means that anything that is happening in the body can be explained entirely by materialistic explanations, and anything that goes wrong can be fixed entirely by a physical process uh, right. of repair or uh, adjusting the chemistry or whatever. Yeah, I think. I'm fully on board with that uh, that analysis, but I was thinking more in terms of language. So I think that one of the problems that you face with with uh, materialists is they use metaphors and don't know it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They think they're just being literal. 
Yes. Like, so yeah. when they describe the human body as a machine, they think they're actually saying something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that right. isn't a metaphor. They believe, like, r in running water, for example, that water <laughs> runs. That kind of... Sorry. <laughs> Amelia yeah. Bedelia. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but that's exactly the problem. When you start viewing the body simply as a machine, when you think that that's all that there is to it, it can lead you into a lot of sort of, well, dangerous directions. Um, okay, so let, let, let's talk about biotechnology for a moment, because this will be our, our transition into the full transhumanism. When something goes wrong with the body, it's appropriate to try to repair it. Nothing wrong with that. Things get a little bit trickier, however, when you go from the point of working to repair it to working to enhance it. Hmm. Right. Okay. And that, dif that difference between getting it to work properly and enhancing it, making it better, right. is, hmm. you know, it, it, it's sort of a slippery slope. There, there, there are nuances along the way there, but I think that's a good way of, of thinking about it. Ethically, I don't see anything wrong with trying to restore normal function. Sure, right. It becomes much more serious, the question gets much more serious when you're talking about enhancing function, and further, when we're talking about genetic stuff. It's one thing to work on fixing the gene that causes cystic fibrosis. It's located in the lungs, uh, it's one gene, and so on. Or if you do a bone marrow transplant, you actually literally kill off the, the person's bone marrow and you replace it with somebody else's. And so their blood actually has somebody else's DNA. Oh, I, I mean, it gets, it gets very, very strange on some yeah. of these things. That's one thing. But what about doing something that affects the sperm or the eggs? If you do that, then the child that's produced is permanently changed and is going to carry that change on to all generations. You permanently change the germline. We don't know fully the consequences of gene editing at that level. When has that ever stopped us, Gwen? <laughs> well, actually, there are... There, oh, we didn't intend that to happen. There are about a half a dozen, <laughs> half a dozen maybe more countries that have banned it yeah. because it amounts to experimenting on people without their consent. Right. Because the future generations are experimental. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, lot that... Uh, I kind of want to throw a few things in before kind of we move deep in that topic. Um, I mean, one of them is the, the very fact that because um, especially Western medicine has moved to this materialistic, uh, you know, vision that it interprets itself from. One of the things missing then is a clear teleology or um, a, a clear um, understanding of the purposes and aims of things, for example, the human being. And because of that, we basically have, the only thing we have to guide us sort of is kind of the proper functionality of certain of our organs and the aspects of our nature. And they kind of give definition to how they should function if they're functioning well because of kind of the normal functioning of these things and how that has kind of helped us survive and stay alive. But that gray area starts to develop because no longer is there sort of, for example, a, a Christian worldview informing directly the kind of, the, the, the deepening of aims that human nature is directed towards. 
sort of defining not merely the human nature, but the higher ends that it's aimed for. Therefore, that becomes an ambiguous space. And so it can either be that the way we should practice medicine is, like you said, to make sure normal functioning is going on, or we can actually start to play with whatever potential is within that matter, using our intelligence now to guide our evolution into directions. Uh, now you're starting to get into some things here that I think uh, are really weak places or sort of soft spots in the West. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's exactly where, yeah. where transhumanism is going, where we, when you get to transhumanism, right. one of the things that they talk about is taking control of our own evolution. And what is interesting is the, the naturalism and then the, the evolutionary frame, because the evolution becomes a significant factor in the, that kind of debate. Because I think it was the Brave New World, one of the right. big uh, Huxley, Huxley's famous Brave New World. I mean, one of the things he was, you know, talking about and, and fearful of is sort of biotechnology because it was going to go in directions that increasingly redefine the human so much that you wouldn't have the human anymore. Right. And right. interestingly, he was not all that, you know, favorable to some of that, even though he was someone who promoted that that kind of. Um, yeah. He that, feared that sort of the functional sort of turning people into mechanisms, machines. The, the, he feared that uh, we would just reduce human beings to sort of their social utility, and he had this very sort of, he had this caste system, yeah. you know, within that, in the, within that vision. So family gets redefined, and as you say, you start playing with certain things. Um, I mean, um, then the, the natural biological and family context um, of, of, of procreation, having children, raising children, all this starts getting redefined to where there isn't anything meaningfully human anymore. Right. The ends and the purposes, the kinds and purposes have become so refashioned. And I think this is where you're, what you're talking about when you're talking about when you start to get into the editing, the gene editing, and then you start playing around with everything on the outside of that, you're starting to blur the difference between just in uh, using technology in a way that it actually fosters human flourishing because it, it, it gives the ability to, to keep normal functioning going right. and aim towards good purposes right. versus right. Re starting to redefine the whole. Right, you've got to have a norm mm -hmm. in order to talk yeah. about norm normative functional yeah. functioning. The, the example I give is I'm red, green, colorblind. Not severely, but it's there. Uh, I'd really like to be able to have my color vision proper, to see what other people see. Right. Um, it should be possible, I don't know anybody who's actually doing this because it's a relatively minor complaint, but it should be possible to insert genetic material into my eyes to create the cones to perceive the colors that I don't perceive properly. It should be possible in theory, I think. But once you go there, what about the next step? Suppose I'm a, uh, I'm a soldier mm -hmm. and I want night vision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you insert genes to produce cones that we'll see in the infrared spectrum or the ultraviolet spectrum? Mm -hmm. <coughs> so now I am much more effective at my job. Sure. What about if we could figure out ways of doing cognitive enhancement or other kinds of physical enhancement? Suppose we can create a Captain America-style super soldier. Is that okay? You know, we're moving in, it, when we're starting to talk about any of these kinds of things, the line between normal function, restoring by color vision, and enhancement, UV vision or, or infrared vision, uh, the, the line 
is very, very small. Yeah, this is a Although conceptually it's huge, sure. but in practice yeah. there's really very yeah. little difference. Yeah, so this is kind of a fun couple of thoughts come up. One is Jose Canseco. <laughs> Remember Jose Canseco? <laughs> the uh, steroid-enhanced man <laughs> who uh, just crushed the baseball. There's, I, I can't help but bring this one up. There's this marvelous, uh, go on YouTube and just type in Jose Canseco to watch a baseball bounce off his head and over the wall. <laughs> he's in the outfield, he's playing a ball, he misses, he, he, he loses sight of the ball. Are you familiar with this? I, I don't know this. No, Hits him in the head great. and goes over. But anyway, he's, he's kind of like a, he's almost kind of like a clown in a sense. But, it, but he actually made it, that argument. The argument was, just let everybody take steroids. Mm -hmm. You know what's the what's the big deal? I, yeah, I know people who actually make that argument too. Yeah. So that mm. that's a a drug enhancement, but there are any number oh, of yeah, other no. kinds of things sure. that you can do here. All right, so that's the biotech thing. And this shades you pretty quickly into a transhumanist world yeah. when you start talking about going beyond repair into enhancement. And this is why we've got to look at this as a continuum. Oh, I agree. And which brings me to Space Seed and start the classic Star Trek series. Remember Space Seed, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wrath of Khan and all that kind of stuff? Anyways, that whole episode is on that theme. I don't know if you recall, you know, with Ma Ma yep. Ricardo Montalban right. as <laughs> Khan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but that was the whole... Now, within Star Trek, and this is fascinating, with, they rejected genetic enhancement, right. but they never tell you why. And, and in the show, uh, I think it's thematically sort of intended to, to get across the notion that if you really do that, there are going to be some people who've got it and some people who don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And what will come of that? Yeah. And, you know, the, all right, so when you're moving into transhumanism, a lot of them are, are literally talking about, like say, taking control of our own evolution. They're talking about mm -hmm. creating post-humans. Mm -hmm. Um, there are all kinds of terminology that they use like and, that. And you're seeing certain kinds of Christians, <laughs> if you yeah, can yeah, use the term, this. Yeah. jump on board, that seeing this as part of this kind of theosis and, or, or um, deification, um, that, that technology actually is a part of our glorification process. Yeah, right. I've actually uh, seen the argument made, heard the argument made, that the resurrection gives us the uh, sort of the, the space to pursue this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you shall be as gods. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's really where we are with that. Um, okay, so there, there are two different directions we can go here, which, and this is the thing that, that sort of fascinates me about this. One of them is the fact that when you are doing transhumanism, Functionally, what you are doing is you are taking that metaphor of the body as a machine mm. and you are taking it absolutely literally. So somebody like Ray Kurzweil, right. what he will say is essentially, well, if we are just purely material beings, our mind is a product of our brain. Consciousness is a product of the brain. The brain is functionally no different from a computer except much more sophisticated. What that means then is that if you develop a computer sophisticated enough, it will become self-conscious. It will develop its own mind. You will have true artificial intelligence. When you push that far enough, they will be able to evolve themselves. They'll be able to constantly write upgrades for themselves until they develop a level of super intelligence that we can't even begin to comprehend. Further, since the brain is nothing more than a computer, we should be able to set up 
matrix-style ways of wiring our brain into computers. Elon Musk is actually working on that right now. Really? He is looking for volunteers to have basically fiber optics running. I think it's fiber now, wasn't optic. Wasn't he the guy that head. was making all the warnings about the evils of artificial intelligence? Well, the years well, let's take the next step. Microsoft and Elon Musk have teamed up just last week. Uh, Microsoft is putting a billion dollars into. Um, into transhumanist projects from Elon Musk. Yeah, what you're seeing happening is the, the wedding of the brave new world um, with uh, 1984. Yeah, right. <laughs> the totalitarianism that, of technology with the biotechnology that uh, comes and al continuously alters us. So you can get move towards both totalitarianism and a, re, uh, a, a redefinition of everything right. human. Okay, right. now, curious thing, where does this lead? Yeah. On the one hand, it is purely materialistic. Yeah. Okay, but Kurzweil posits that it should thus be possible to upload your mind right. into a computer, right, right. thereby achieving a kind of technological immortality. Yeah, exactly. But it's an immortality of the mind, not the body, even though we're materialists. Right, right. So what you're getting is a kind of techno-gnosticism. Right, right where the mind is the thing that survives, not the body, even though we're operating in a presumably materialistic world. Right, right. I think the first time I heard that was, did, does this name ring a bell? Tipler? Was that Tipler? That does ring a bell. Works in a field like astrophysics or something. Wrote something like the physics of immortality years yes, ago. Yes, okay. I did remember that book. That yes. book was the first time I really, and this was back, this is a dated book. Yeah, this is like this, late 80s, This stuff has been 90s? in their, yeah, yes, their, right. their imagination for, for a long time. Okay. Yeah, and then you've got another, uh, they're, they're all different branches of transhumanism. You've got other ones that are working on physical enhancements of people to make us immortal as well. Right, right. And if you go that route, the, the really interesting questions are, are you know, you're still in this metaphysical world of matter and energy, but the really interesting question in that case is who gets it? Well, and then what follows for me is when do we call the Butlerian jihad? Yeah. You know, remember Dune? Mm -hmm. You know, in Dune, the Frank Herbert mm -hmm. novel, the whole yeah. uh, sort of distant history of, of mankind has this uh, huge cataclysm or at the, at sort of at some point in which uh, the uh, humans rise up against the machines, the intelligent machines, and against this sort of symbiosis between man and machine and artificial intelligence and uh, it leads to an intergalactic conflict that results in uh, the anathematizing of any kind of uh, uh, intelligent machinery being built. Mm -hmm. So that's why in the Frank Herbert novels you've got the Mentats. The Mentats are the human computers, meaning that because they no, it's, no longer, it's no longer permissible to create computers it goes that far. Hmm. The human beings have to perform the functions that they, we used to rely on the computers to perform in that in that vision. Hmm. And it, it's a fascinating uh, exploration, sort of the other side of this. But yeah, or you could just you, the, the simpler way is just look at the film Gattaca. Sure. Yes, yeah, that too. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But but the the problem here that I see that nobody's talking about. Let's say you extend human lifespan to hundreds of years, maybe thousands which is what they're talking about. Right, they, right. You find a way of doing this. Right. Who gets it? Who controls it? 
Um, whenever you have a new technology, it's always the rich that get it first. Right. But you saw this, I saw this literally this week, where they're talking about the issue of, of rich people, should they be have, able to have the advantages of do this selective uh, gene editing because it favors their... Sure. And then uh, who, what's to prevent them from preventing anybody else from getting, getting it? it? So yeah, you get right. a master race then. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with and our... With or, or suppose <laughs> it does become widespread. What do you do with children? There you go. Well, how do you handle reproduction? If everybody is living for thousands of years, you can't afford to have many children. Right. Because and you are going to consume all the resources available. So do you ban that? That's right, right. What happens, what does this do to society? Nobody's talking about it. They even talk about right, reproductive right. frustration with that in the sense that here, for example, if you have a certain kind of vitality, but you're no re longer reproductively attractive. And, mm -hmm. and, and they talk about all these kind of complications right. that, that rise up. And, and this sounds so far-fetched, but, you know. Um, yes. What was it, Downey? This was. Oh, counterweight. Counterweight, okay, yes, sure. thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I think it's what uh, uh, Mike Bess. I don't. I can't recall the work, but he he looks. Uh, he develops this this notion called the. He calls it the um, Jetsons fallacy, hmm. and he says that what happens is is we don't think that we kind of don't think of the incremental changes in technology as doing all that much because we kind of grow with them. Mm -hmm. But we don't listen to these conversations like Glenn's talking about, where where these things have certain ends. Mm -hmm. that they're aiming and directing the technology and directing us towards, which we oftentimes are just ignorant of. And so he calls it, said, think of the Jetsons, you know, where they're projecting in the future. It's a, for those who weren't around when the Jetsons, <laughs> right, <laughs> which is probably right. a lot of people. Right, right. It was a little cartoon you could probably track down, which was supposed <laughs> to be like, what was it, 2060 or something? Right, right, right. But the thing is, is it was, it was, it was about a changed world where you could have flying cars and all these things. But basically the family was the same. The relationships were all the same as that time. Mm -hmm. right, right. And so what was not uh, in the imagination of the writer, or it was just you know, left out, mm -hmm. um, was that human nature and, and families and everything else was going to change as that technology right. changed. Um, for good, for ill, and like we said, there are plenty of goods. You know, if you you have a family and someone can be around longer and, and flourish more fully because of the advancements of medicine, right. sure. beautiful and good. If you can live a you know a healthier life a little bit longer and enjoy to see the grandkids, good things. But this point at which mm -hmm. um, all of that gets redefined, and then the point of being sustained and living is so redefined. You, you start to get into to a huge mess. I mean, another one, I think it was Huxley or another one put out there, is what, what happens if we eliminate, for example, all depression whatsoever? Oh, right. Because if you don't know, if all you can, if you're able to right. depill your way into happiness continuously. Was it called Soma? Soma. Yes. Soma, yeah. Yes, that, that, that you don't have those, those um, levels of difference which are required for, for certain meaning. In other words, can you be sane without being depressed? Yes. Or at least else? I think all except for, except for now. So at least the potential to be depressed. Yes. If, 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 it's, if everything is sort of take a pill. Remember that Saturday Night Live? Yeah. <laughs> take a pill. Take. Yeah. A, in other words, there's always some kind of way to sort of, you know, sort of cop out of the the, 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 the sort of the difficulty of passing through the hard, you know, sort of patch in life. 
That's right. Yeah, this, this on my mind you know, is running in all <laughs> sorts of directions. Yeah. I know this, that you've got plenty this, more to say, this, though. Yeah. This, is, this is actually the fundamental problem with the entire topic. It can go in so many different directions. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the techno-Guyanism, for example, I think is really worth exploring. Techno-Guyanism? Um, techno-Guyanism is a like. branch of transhumanism that heads toward... Um, uh, Re-engineering society and the human body to leave a smaller environmental footprint. Oh, okay, so it's like Gia kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Or, or you can go. You know, we we can talk about the techno gnosticism, um, right. immortalism. All of these things they've got they've got vast implications. But the fundamental problem with all of them is they are rooted in a defective metaphysic. Yes. yes. And yes. as a result, they have a defective view of human nature. Right. By the way, this stuff this stuff flows directly into transgenderism as well. Oh, right. Because Definitely. fundamentally, what it, what it comes down to with, with a lot of these things is the technologies are being developed that will allow you ultimately to conform your body to what you think it should be. This is, this, this is the transgender dream. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it ties in with all of these different things. And as a topic, it, yeah. I, I was having a hard time figuring out how to even enter it because it's so slippery it, and there are so many yeah. different places to well, go it, with it. What it also demonstrates is that there's a kind of a, a collusion, you could say, between all sorts of parties that have very different goals, at right. least on the surface. Yeah. In other words, the transhumanists and the transgender people may not have any sort of basis for relating to each other on a day-to-day -day basis apart from the fact yeah. that they both link of their bodies as sort of a subject to their wills. Right. So there's yeah. actually a, uh, a movement called post-genderism. Oh, yeah. Post-genderism. They're hanging out with the post-colonialists. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. post, post, post it's the same thing in their eyes. <laughs> post-genderism says that through the development of artificial wombs and reproductive technologies, yeah. mm -hmm. we, we can detach completely reproduction from sex, thereby restoring sex to its proper function in their minds of providing physical and psychological pleasure, okay. which then means that we can also apply these technologies to modify our bodies in any way that suits our interests and desires. Which brings us back to, 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 to uh, Brave New World and mm -hmm. Huxley. You remember what uh, the Bible was referred to in Brave New World, pornography hmm. is referred to as pornography. Uh, the idea being that uh, pornography, of course, was disassociated from its, from its, you know, sort of sexual or you know, sort of uh, being defined by sexual uh, uh, interests, uh, proclivities, or whatever, and just simply anything that is kind of uh, out of step with sort of this, with the kind of this social milieu, the so, so, social functioning. Hmm. So, the, you know, the Bible uh, in, in Brave New World is something that encourages self-denial, hmm. which undermines the entire, you, yes. know, you know, economic project yeah. of Brave New World. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting with that, because that's what the thing when, when Glenn was talking about this that you hear right there. The, the one thing they're not emphasizing is, is the, the transformation of 
one's loves <laughs> right here, you know. And, and it's interesting, this is a topic I think I'll get to probably the next time I do it. It's on, on sort of propaganda. And Elio's whole line is, is that the Siamese twin of all this technological advancement mm. is the propaganda, which is geared towards fashioning the loves towards embracing the technological yeah, yeah. and the transhumanistic. Yeah, yeah. And so what you do is they do recognize that those loves need to be formed. So they want to basically get you away from the pornography of self-denial and, mm -hmm. and, and move you towards this kind of subjective uh, will will to impose to you know to impose one's will wishes and wants onto reality and therefore direct it towards um, that kind of gratification but I think it's not it's uh, you know it tends to get weird because it kind of goes back and forth between um, I'll do a uh, I'll do a head uh, let me see a sea hag yeah it kind of gets ca um, caught between the collective and the individual then as well and that's a, that's a whole different thing um, there are well, uh, uh, let, let, let's look at that for a moment, the yeah. collective and the individual. Let's suppose mm -hmm. we succeed in Kurzweil's project. Mm. We have a super intelligent machine that we are able to wire ourselves into. That automatically makes us super intelligent. We have access, immediate access, to everything that is on whatever replaces the internet. Mm. Um, so we have, we have at our fingers, tips, all knowledge, all information, all everything, plus super intelligence to back us up. Oh, and by the way, we're not the only person plugged into this. Everybody else is plugged into it too. So we have access to their minds as well. <laughs> what we have just done is we've created the collective unconscious and a technological nirvana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is and fundamentally, then, I mean, we can start with materialism, but we're there at, at that point, we're at pantheism. And then, yeah, and then the virtual ends up continuously um, pushing towards the gratification of, you know, desires that have not been reformed. Mm -hmm. right, and right. so you're, you're also, you know, from a Christian perspective, you're, 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 you're increasing the depravity because right, right. because you are actually able to create new ways to sin new right. ways to sin in ways that also don't harm whatever natural limits you otherwise would have because they're created and the, they're put in the virtual right. so you have virtual confession maybe that, be the, you know i don't know how they, they'll deal with that well so you know, what we're dealing with here is genuinely original sin right yeah right yeah. right so you now one of the things that comes to mind as i as i reflect on this is at what point do you say it's it's you, you justifiably resist. And yeah. we've talked about Protestant resistance theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you described in that. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's our most popular episode. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the numbers. And uh, nice. yeah, it's great. It's a good episode. The thing about Protestant resistance theory, of, of course, is that it presumes a, uh, a lesser magistrate. It presumes a fairly healthy social order that's being sort of imposed upon by another social right. institution of some kind. And what do you do when none of that's still there? What do you do? How do you resist in a world where increasingly the power of surveillance, uh, sort of the algorithms are working to sort of prevent any kind of organized resistance? What do you? you know, at what point do you say, okay, enough is enough. We have the right to fight. I mean, physically fight. But then, how do you do it? So, in other words. Um, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, we know about drones. We know about how yeah. you know, uh, you know, people in some, you know, trailer park in Arizona can kill just about anybody in Iraq right now just <laughs> through, you know, GPS and drones. 
So how how do you how do you organize a resistance? Yeah. Uh, in, you can't even hide in a cave in the old biblical image. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can but, feel your warmth, you know. <laughs> what you've got is a situation where, you know, resistance is futile, as the Borg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of transhumanism. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. I, this, I'm just raising these questions. Yeah. I, the well, the the ace we have here is that. While some parts of the project are, will prove to be possible, because it is ultimately based on a, like I said, a defective metaphysic and therefore a defective view of human nature, all of these things that they are working on, some of them may be possible, but a lot of them won't be, because the human mind is not analogous to a computer. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great. That is a great point, and that's something I thought about when you were talking about. Is what happens is they're functioning on this. They, they flattened um, metaphor analog, and, and analogy into. You, know, you talk about science being fundamentalist. I mean, it is more yes. fundamentalist than any fundamentalist Christian could ever be. Yeah, I've in the sense that it's. I've it's, heard it said that Ken Ham. <laughs> and Carl Sagan had a lot more in common. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Dawkins. Yeah. yeah, right. And but this is one of them. It's the way in which yeah they literally think that the human brain is nothing different. You know, not a whole lot. Only only um, uh, quantitatively different, um, not qualitatively. And this is this is the whole thing. Is that metaphysic, Christianity's metaphysic that that uh, speaks of these things is in a qualitatively different way. That cannot be contained by those that are materialistic. Right. So no matter how much they try, they're not able to take away the reality of which places an ultimate limit on everything they're doing. Right. right. To, to put it simply, what computers do are calculations. That's right. 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 It, 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 everything else that they seem to be doing, it's all based on calculations. Even if you could construct a computer that could do as many calculations as is theoretically possible to the human brain, yeah. even if you could do that, it would not touch what the human mind, not brain, mind does. So you can't, you can't reduce the fact that you like IPAs and I don't yeah. to calculations. That's right. That's right. You can't do that. Uh, you Some people would try. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm well, sure. well, this is the interesting point. This is, was our episode a ways back. People go back, look at it, about the Tower of Babel. I mean, there is a point at which God Himself says, "Wait a minute, there's a lot of things that's right, right. going on here that I'm going to have to put a little, you know, put some damage right. into." Right. But, um, but yeah, I think. But, but yeah. you know, music, art, um, right. the food we like, um, you know, I mean, we can go on and on and on with all of these different kinds of things, and those are relatively trivial ones. Um, the idea of love, the idea of responsibility, you can't program those into a machine. That's right. But here, here's, a, here's a wrinkle that I'd like us to consider a little bit. What if our, uh, our technological betters arrive at this? This sort of wall, uh, sort of this, the, the wall of the, of the of the possible, and they realize they can't. But they've created an ethos, a mythos of all things are possible. So the the power of the idea begins to sort of carry us along at that point, and the power of the idea, uh, you know, the power of an idea doesn't necessarily uh, you know, get. Uh, denuded or, or, or you know, uh, it does, its power is not drained 
just because <laughs> yeah. we think about it with our socialist friends. How many times do they have to fail before yeah. They, yeah. They, they, don't, they never seem to get it because the dream. They'll be in the food line getting their one chick in the split with their 12 family, mate, and they'll still be like, no, this is, you know, I can't, my God is going to deliver. You That's know? right. So, so there, there seems to be that. But what if we, we have a situation where we can simulate it? So, for example, remember, uh, uh, what was the name of the uh, computer that they had play on Jeopardy? I can't remember. Watson. Watson. Okay. Now, Watson. The reason why Watson cleaned up, by the way, is he could, or it could, beat everybody else to the buzzer. It well, was the speed of getting to the buzzer that well, was the key I'm, thing. I'm, I'm, fine, but, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with yeah. Watson's limitations. But what if you had people who didn't tell you the truth about Watson? Mm -hmm. who, who were able to use Watson's speed and his, his apparent, you know, sort of, in, you know, capacity of uh, infinite knowledge uh, to put over on you consciousness that's not there. See, that's where, that's where Elio... Yeah, well, you're, yeah. Yeah, your, your question is what happens if they run into a wall and can't go any further, but people are still expecting it. The first answer that came to my mind is they'll lie. That's, well, that's my this point. This is right where we're at, propaganda. Yes, right. <laughs> that, was, that was the thing. And it's interesting because Elio wanted to say, and, it, and, and it's interesting how he said it, he talks about propaganda in the modern world with as the kind of Siamese twin of, of, of technology. He talks about it as, as sort of a sociological thing now. Um, but he talks about the way in which it has changed from older types of propaganda. And one of his things was, is most people are expecting propaganda to lie. And, and the point is, is it, it, no, it doesn't lie to your face. It's giving you a bunch of half-truths or ripping truth out of context. It's doing all these things to keep the people having enough truth there to say, oh, this is the case, you know, oh, technology is this way, but then they're being manipulated into believing in this, you know, this... this and they, they want to believe. Yes. They want to believe, particularly well, if see, they've lost, you know, the true God. Which is they interesting, because, to, to because I think, great point, because I think uh, Elio was, was in a way trying to take his position a little bit further than Calvin did, because Calvin's notion of religion, human beings as being religion, Religion for Calvin was basically um, someone who, who created politically or from power structure something to manipulate people. But the reason it worked is because we were religious mm -hmm. by our constitution, mm -hmm. though fallen. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to, propaganda was able to work on us because we're religious on one end, so you could tell enough truth to get people hooked and then take them down an idolatrous path. Right. I think Elio was trying to develop that point, but that's the same point, is we're willing to do it. Why? Because we are religious by nature, we have we have been made to to believe in truth, and though because we suppress it and we want we want truth to basically affirm our fallenness and our wills, want and wishes, we listen to that voice that says uh, you know gives us what we want to hear. Particularly particularly if we don't feel like we have enough capacity to make uh, good choices in our own, or we've become so dependent. Yeah. But imagine a world. Imagine imagine. Um, uh, the uh, Wizard of Oz with Watson. <laughs> so, so if, you remember, of course, when they finally get to the Emerald City, yeah. they 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 discover uh, this 
powerful wizard, right? He's got this image. He looks almost like an alien from yeah. Star Trek or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and he's this, this flames and, and deep voice and go and get the witch's broom. <laughs> anyway, well, they come back after they've achieved the goal, right? And apparently the, 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 the fraud didn't expect them to be able to pull it off. And so they come back, and at that point, of course, we see, don't look at that man behind the curtain. Now, what if the man behind the curtain is Watson? What if we create a world which there really is no conscious artificial intelligence, but there is a vested interest in helping and making people believe that there is. And but we, but we still have super super computing capacity. You know, there's a there's enough truth yeah. to make the propaganda believable. Yeah, yeah. But there's no reality behind the curtain. There's nothing there. Yeah. And once you've got the Turing test passed, mm, you know, there you go. You, Explain you, the Turing test because a lot of our folks wouldn't know yeah, what that the, means. The, the Turing test is mm. a it, it, it ties in actually with uh, transhumanism as well. Um, uh, the mathematician, I forgot his first name, but Turing, um, argued that if you could get a computer that could conduct a conversation with a person such that that person would not know that they were talking to a computer, that computer would functionally be fully conscious. So right. You know, I, what I do to the Turing thing, we, we deal with this all the time when we call and get you know, uh, robo-answer or whatever, you know, the answering answering service that's sure. automated. So what I usually do to, to kind of shut that down, I think we're picking up on Brandon's... Uh, no, we're picking up on his. Okay, okay. So in case in case you're wondering what that, in, in, that, that sound was, that was Tom getting a phone call. <laughs> anyway, um, he, in the, uh, but, but getting back to my point, whenever I encounter this stuff, what I start doing is start yelling. And apparently, what you do if you get caught in, you know, answering machine hell, you know, or mm -hmm. this artificial intelligence kind of thing, you know, say yes or no at the prompt. I just start yelling and getting a little saucy, and immediately the computer starts, shuts down, and I get a real human being on the line. Oh, that's a great tip. <laughs> that's worth this entire podcast. <laughs> Works for me every time. Works for me today. So what, uh, let me get a little background on what happened today. So we had a delivery service come to the house. I won't tell you what company it was. They failed to ring the doorbell. They failed to knock. They just left the little thing saying that we tried to, we tried to deliver this package, and we couldn't because no one would answer the door. So I, when, I, when I went to the front door and I saw this thing, and I was expecting the delivery, I just called the, this uh, company up, and uh, I got into answering machine hell. You know, sort of this, the circle's hell that you can't ever get out of. I just started yelling and shouting and insulting the machine. <laughs> Finally, I got a human voice, and I, and I, and I was angry, and I, I told them exactly what had happened, and, and the package was delivered an hour and a half later. They actually made the point of bringing the, you know, sending the guy back to the house. Oh, so that's how you do it. <laughs> okay, good tip. Like I said, worth the price of admission. <laughs> anyway, but, but I think you know we're kind of getting into this sort of a power that we have to manipulate expectations. Yeah. Well, let me let me throw one more in there, and this this is a different show because it's really not a transhumanist issue, but virtual reality. Hmm. Yeah. As virtual reality becomes better and better, as computing power increases and all of that, so that you will be able to create virtual worlds that are almost fully immersive. Right. This is going to. I, I can predict with 100% certainty that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to 
spend they're going to spend their time by preference in the virtual world rather than in the real world. Yes. Sort of like Cypher in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he knew that it was all fraud, but yeah. he decided that, that right. was a better well, You know, I, when I was in college I knew people who were D and D players. Yeah. Right. And they told me, at least one of them told me he would rather live in the campaign world than in the real world. And now he had to function in the real world, so he did took his classes and did all that very bright guy. But he would rather be in the D and D world. And now, for our and, for our listeners who don't know what D and D is, this is Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. It's a it's a it's a game that was a virtual reality game before computing, and a very yeah. big one. I <laughs> know in the eighties, yeah. pencil and paper. But but when when VR, when VR gets to the point where it, it is more even more immersive than it is now, right? Uh, or augmented reality. Why come out? And any of this stuff, you're going to get a why come out phenomenon. Yeah. Now that's the thing about Star Trek that I, I think fails to deal with human nature. Mm -hmm. The new Trek. Yeah, yeah. You got these the hollow deck. Yeah. Why don't we find people on the hollow deck who are completely drugged out in in sort of this sort of virtual reality experience? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Not wanting to come back out of the room. Now maybe they force them out of the room. Yeah. Maybe they've got a technique for dealing with this problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's just a new one out. I've been I'm just catching some of it. People have told me. I think it's called Dark Mirror. Or something. Yes, I've heard and, about it. And it's talking it. about kind of the darker side of these technological advances, and it mm. has a sort of Heideggerian. Um, Suspicion, you know. Right. Um, it's not not done from a Christian set of assumptions, but probably more of like a Heideggerian. Um, is, is this a good place to go? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it it does some very disturbing things. It's a way in which, for example, um, someone has a capacity. One episode, because I did watch a few of them. One one episode is where someone has a capacity to take his co-workers and and um, create clones of them that experience everything within his virtual world. It's on almost like a Star Trek, uh, mm. it, it, you know, it's sort of on, on the Enterprise, and he is playing Kirk, but he's basically uh, controlling them, mm. manipulating them, and he holds over their head that they will never escape his tyranny mm. as long as they don't go along with what he wants. And mm. so it becomes his punishment. Anyone he doesn't like back in his workplace enters into this virtual world. Okay, maybe this is very far-fetched, but the imagination is showing those dark places that the imagination can go yeah. when these new possibilities become um, within reach. Yeah, think about any sort of socially sort of challenged or socially uh, sort of damaged teenager. Yeah. What kind of hell could they create for people if they had the power to do so? We already know that a lot of young people do create hells for their rivals or people they feel contempt for online. It's yeah, led to suicides and, and bullying. terrible things, yeah. 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 So I, th I think to answer your question where, where we were just before this, what happens when they hit the technological wall that they can't go through? They're going to lie, they're going to work through VR, they're going to do something like that. Because right. I think I think nobody's really connected VR to transhumanism, but I think we've got to. Because yeah. at some point the two of them come together. I think you're right. Yeah. And I, and, and I think, you know, I mean, we're just kind of exploring it now, but I think the Christ, Christian imagination um, is going to be, you know, it's, it's you know, we, you're talking resistance in a way that the church has never had to resist. I mean, we have the resources, we have the riches, our, our you know, theological vision, our doctrine of God. These things can help us 
right. discern this, but the, the real wisdom, and of course we're waiting ultimately on an act of God, right. but, but I mean the real wisdom is, is the way in which you can actually form, in any sense of the word, what faithful discipleship looks like um, when these pressures are put on the whole of the world almost to to I mean think of it a different way I mean I have uh, I mean I have 11 year old I mean what happens when he gets to a certain point and the competition between them is not you know in high school or in college is is whether or not you enhance your intelligence to us you know where is it that the you know they're going to draw the line everyone else is doing everyone else is having these experiences and everyone else is able to enhance themselves i'm going to fall behind and i'm going to become their you know basically manipulatable by their supreme intelligence or whatever and and even if these even if the promise is fraudulent there's still the power of the myth yeah yeah. i think that's the thing that we have to keep in mind here when we think about Transhumanism. Yeah. I think we need to think about it as a comp- competitive uh, religious sort of ideology yep. that uh, we as Christians need to be ready to, to deal what, with. What it is offering is a kind of salvation yes. that mm-hmm. requires no moral effort right. and is completely detached from God, who of course doesn't exist because we're materialists. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. Well, you think about like the Matrix, you know, when, when they need to learn something, they just simply upload it. So right. remember, what's it, Trinity? She needs to learn how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. So they just plug in the program into her brain and now she can fly a helicopter. Yeah. yeah. You know, that that's... But again, but, there's but a set see, of if, expectations. If you've got yeah. this idea of superintelligence, if you've got this idea that you can plug your brain into the internet and immediately download anything you need, right. and if you've got access to other minds so that you have their mind-body control you can transfer into you via the computer, all these kinds of things, yeah, you're in the matrix. Now, the thing about this, of course, is how fraudulent it is. I mean, you can even see that now. So, for example, my, you know, my, my kids are very uh, uh, sort of crafty and able people. Each of my kids have mastered some uh, craft. So my second son just uh, made a kitchen knife from scratch. He forged it uh, and uh, it's a beautiful object and he's given it to some friends for a wedding present. Now, the, the, the discipline that had to be exercised in order to do this, yeah. uh, you know, is significant. He he built his own uh, belt grinder. He built his own forge. You know, yeah. he, uh, the package I described earlier today con- contained something that he needed to to make and something that he's working on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty important and a very expensive item that came in the mail. That's <laughs> why I was so intent on getting it to the house today. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And I had a kind of hack. I knew how to hack the system. (laughs) But anyway, uh, but the problem is, is that there are there are enough kids out there who have this mythos, who believe that they're going to have power through a sort of virtual set of skills, sort of a virtual reality that they can participate in, that can rival and actually trump the ability to actually work with the physical world. Mm -hmm. But it's it's fraudulent. You know, the, the people who master, you know, sort of uh, traditional uh, tasks really do have the world as their oyster. 
they really do go through life mm -hmm. being able to do things that people stand back and say, how did you pull that off? Mm -hmm. Well, I tried and I worked. What can and I, I get for everybody? I'm good for now. Want to order food? I was going to grab something. But what you end up having is this, this sort of this unfortunate deception. I think many of our young people today have been, have been sold a lie. And that lie is that you know if they if they kind of buy into this sort of virtual world or this sort of trust in the power of technology to make their lives better with a pill or with some you know, promise of some technological advance and enhancement that could have changed them physically even that their lives will be, be they'll be better off than that poor schmuck over there who actually knows how to make an op make a, a beautiful object. Why, why am I suddenly thinking of uh, De Niro in Brazil? <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, if you want to see the greatest movie ever made, watch Brazil and look for De Niro. Harry Tuttle. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we should probably uh, kind of wrap things up at this point. This has been a really rich topic, Glenn. Yeah. We, should, we should come back to these themes another time. But is there anything you want to add at this point, Tom? Um, uh, a couple of small points. Um, I mean, one of them is what you have going on here is a you know what you would almost see as a um, alternative system of salvation. <laughs> I mean, right. this is sort of what's going on here. Um, and so this isn't enough, anything new for Christians. You're dealing with a new, you know, a, not a new. You're dealing with a set of. Um, of contrasting ideas and ideals, um, a different conception of reality and, and, and the purposes of all things. And so, you know, we, we have a word to say into all of this. And so we didn't really focus on that side of it. We were doing more of exploring the, the you know, this differing worldview, this differing view of salvation, or the differing views that are entailed therein. And so, um, so, so there, you know, there, there is a, there's a word we have for it. Um, but on the other hand, um, I think, you know, it's something we'll even be visiting, uh, you know, the next time I talk about with propaganda, because it's, it's something very similar. You know, they're, they're tied to each other. Right. Thank you. And we have a physical feast. We have a feast. Delayed. Very, very physical. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a virtual dish. This is not virtual. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm assuming the word you're, you're referring to is heresy. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, especially with, um, <laughs> well, especially with the churches, uh, certain strands of people in the church opening their imagination to embracing yeah, some of yeah, this. I think right. you're looking at heresy right away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What strikes me about this is, you know, bringing it into a, a biblical context, right. is that this is the ultimate expression of the lie in the garden. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, you, you will be as God. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's not only a secular salvation, it's secular apotheosis. Yes. So. Right. Yeah, apotheosis, of course, it means being raised to the divine level. So right. something that raises you up to the divine. Oh, it's yeah. fine to use big words. <laughs> I just think we need to define them every once in a while. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so. Anyway, well, this, is, this has been great. Did you want to say something else? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. This has been a great talk and uh, a very rich one. And we appreciate your, your interest in the Theology Podcast. By the way, I mean, here we've got some technology. The podcast, a delivery mechanism for getting, disseminating... Uh, reaching thought, people all reach, over. That's right. And so we're not we're not Luddites here. <laughs> well, a little bit, but not in the radical sense. There are things that are really positive about technology. We're not just trying to throw it all out. Uh, 
But at the same time, we need to be realistic about sort of the, everything has a downside. Everything has an upside, or most things have an upside, but even things that have an upside do have a downside, and we need to keep that in mind. Anyway, thanks for listening to the podcast today. We appreciate your support, and uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye now. Bye-bye.